dignity which compelled obedience. The old man lay back in his chair with a twitching face, and stared at her with brooding eyes. "'Yes, sir, I am your prisoner,' she said. "'From where I stood I could hear everything, and I know that you have learned the truth. I confess it all. It was I who killed the young man. But you are right, you who say it was an accident. I did not even know that it was a knife which I held in my hand.' for in my despair I snatched anything from the table and struck at him to make him let me go. It is the truth that I tell. Madam, said Holmes, I am sure that it is the truth. I fear that you are far from well. She had turned a dreadful color, the more ghastly under the dark dust streaks upon her face. She seated herself on the side of the bed, then she resumed. I have only a little time here, she said but I would have you know the whole truth. I am this man's wife. He is not an Englishman. He is a Russian. His name I will not tell. For the first time the old man stirred. "'God bless you, Anna,' he cried. "'God bless you.' She cast a look of the deepest disdain in his direction. "'Why should you cling so hard to that wretched life of your Sergius?' said she. It has done harm to many and good to none, not even to yourself. However, it is not for me to cause the frail thread to be snapped before God's time. I have enough already upon my soul since I crossed the threshold of this cursed house, but I must speak or I shall be too late. I have said, gentlemen, that I am this man's wife. He was fifty and I a foolish girl of twenty when we married. It was in a city of Russia a university, I will not name the place. "'God bless you, Anna,' murmured the old man again. "'We were reformers, revolutionists, nihilists. You understand? He and I and many more. Then there came a time of trouble. A police officer was killed. Many were arrested. Evidence was wanted, and in order to save his own life and to earn a great reward, my husband betrayed his own wife and his companions. Yes, we were all arrested upon his confession. Some of us found our way to the gallows, and some to Siberia. I was among these last, but my term was not for life. My husband came to England with his ill-gotten gains, and has lived in quiet ever since, knowing well that if the Brotherhood knew where he was, not a week would pass before justice would be done." The old man reached out a trembling hand and helped himself to a cigarette. "'I am in your hands, Anna,' said he. "'You were always good to me.' "'I have not yet told you the height of his villainy,' said she. "'Among our comrades of the Order there was one who was the friend of my heart. He was noble, unselfish, loving, all that my husband was not. He hated violence.' We were all guilty if that is guilt, but he was not. He wrote forever dissuading us from such a course. These letters would have saved him. So would my diary, in which, from day to day, I had entered both my feelings towards him and the view which each of us had taken. My husband found and kept both diary and letters. He hid them, and he tried hard to swear away the young man's life. In this he failed." but Alexis was sent a convict to Siberia, where now, at this moment, 
He works in a salt mine. Think of that, you villain, you villain! Now, now, at this very moment, Alexis, a man whose name you are not worthy to speak, works and lives like a slave, and yet I have your life in my hands, and I will let you go. You were always a noble woman, Anna, said the old man, puffing at his cigarette. She had risen, but she fell back again with a little cry of pain. I must finish, she said. When my term was over, I set myself to get the diary and letters which, if sent to the Russian government, would procure my friend's release. I knew that my husband had come to England. After months of searching, I discovered where he was. I knew that he still had the diary, for when I was in Siberia I had a letter from him once, reproaching me and quoting some passages from its pages. Yet I was sure that, with his revengeful nature, he would never give it to me of his own free will. I must get it for myself. With this object I engaged an agent from a private detective firm, who entered my husband's house as a secretary. It was your second secretary, Sergius, the one who left you so hurriedly. He found that papers were kept in the cupboard, and he got an impression of the key. He would not go farther. He furnished me with a plan of the house. He told me that in the forenoon the study was always empty, as the secretary was employed up here. So at last I took my courage in both hands, and I came down to get the papers for myself. I succeeded, but at what a cost! I had just taken the paper, and was locking the cupboard, when the young man seized me. I had seen him already that morning. He had met me on the road, and I had asked him to tell me where Professor Coram lived, not knowing that he was in his employ. "'Exactly, exactly,' said Holmes. The secretary came back and told his employer of the woman he had met. Then, in his last breath, he tried to send a message that it was she, the she whom he had just discussed with him. "'You must let me speak,' said the woman, in an imperative voice and her face contracted as if in pain. When he had fallen, I rushed from the room, chose the wrong door, and found myself in my husband's room. He spoke of giving me up. I showed him that if he did so, his life was in my hands. If he gave me to the law, I could give him to the brotherhood. It was not that I wished to live for my own sake, but it was that I desired to accomplish my purpose. He knew that I would do what I said that his own fate was involved in mine. For that reason, and for no other, he shielded me. He thrust me into that dark hiding-place, a relic of old days, known only to himself. He took his meals in his own room, and so was able to give me part of his food. It was agreed that when the police left the house, I should slip away by night and come back no more. But in some way you have read our plans— she tore from the bosom of her dress a small packet. "'These are my last words,' she said. "'Here is the packet which will save Alexis. I confide it to your honour and to your love of justice. Take it. You will deliver it at the Russian embassy. Now I have done my duty, and—' "'Stop her!' cried Holmes. He had bounded across the room and had wrenched a small file from her hand. "'Too late!' she said, sinking back on the bed. Too late. 
I took the poison before I left my hiding place. My head swims. I am going. I charge you, sir, to remember the packet. A simple case, and yet in some ways an instructive one, Holmes remarked as we travelled back to town. It hinged from the outset upon the pince-nez, but for the fortunate chance of the dying man having seized these, I am not sure that we could ever have reached our solution. It was clear to me, from the strength of the glasses, that the wearer must have been very blind and helpless when deprived of them. When you asked me to believe that she walked along a narrow strip of grass without once making a false step, I remarked, as you may remember, that it was a noteworthy performance. In my mind I set it down as an impossible performance. Save in the unlikely case that she had a second pair of glasses— I was forced, therefore, to consider seriously the hypothesis that she had remained within the house. On perceiving the similarity of the two corridors, it became clear that she might very easily have made such a mistake, and in that case it was evident that she must have entered the professor's room. I was keenly on the alert, therefore, for whatever would bear out of this supposition, and I examined the room narrowly, for anything in the shape of a hiding-place. The carpet seemed continuously and firmly nailed, so I dismissed the idea of a trap-door. There might well be a recess behind the books. As you are aware, such devices are common in old libraries. I observed that books were piled on the floor at all other points, but that one bookcase was left clear. This, then, might be the door. I could see no marks to guide me, but the carpet was of a dun colour, which lends itself very well to examination. I therefore smoked a great number of those excellent cigarettes, and I dropped the ash all over the space in front of the suspected bookcase. It was a simple trick, but exceedingly effective. I then went downstairs and I ascertained in your presence, Watson, without your perceiving the drift of my remarks, that Professor Coram's consumption of food had increased, as one would expect when he is supplying a second person. We then ascended to the room again, when, by upsetting the cigarette-box, I obtained a very excellent view of the floor, and was able to see quite clearly, from the traces upon the cigarette-ash, that the prisoner had, in our absence, come out from her retreat. "'Well, Hopkins, here we are at Charing Cross, and I congratulate you on having brought your case to a successful conclusion. You are going to headquarters, no doubt. I think, Watson, you and I will drive together to the Russian Embassy.' End of The Adventure of the Golden Pince-Nez, Part Two